Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. A recent study conducted by WorkVivo, surveying over 500 HR professionals in the UK and the US has thrown up some really eye-opening results. One of the standout findings is that as a result of workplace transformations and the famous great resignation, 98% of HR professionals are feeling burned out. What does this mean and what else did we learn from this study? So to talk to us more about these results today, we're delighted to be joined by Gillian French, WorkVivo's expert in residence and employee experience an international veteran people leader and organizational behaviors with over 10 years experience as a chief people officer. Thanks for joining us, Gillian. How are you? Hi, great. Thanks for having me in today. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Sone. And lovely to have you here, Gillian. I'm very interested in your research findings. Definitely. So let's jump right in as well. Gillian, can you talk to us about some of the, the big findings from this from this piece of work? Yeah, um, so some of the startling things that were found was that only 29% of HR professionals feel that their work is valued in the organization, which is quite disturbing because that means that 70% don't uh, feel valued um, within the workplace. 94% of HR professionals surveyed said they felt overwhelmed in the past six months. Again, that is an unbelievable stat. I mean, the high 90s means that 6% are not feeling overwhelmed, but uh, I mean, that's a really, really small proportion. 88% of respondents said they dreaded work. Um, 97 said they felt emotionally fatigued from overwork in the past year. And 78% said they were open to leaving their job in the next, you know, couple of months if any new opportunities presented themselves. And the really sad one was with only one in two feel their organization values the HR function. So for me, that really resonated because, you know, 70% aren't feeling valued one in two you know, feel that HR isn't valued in the company whatsoever. Um, And I just can't, after two years of the pressure that the HR people have been under, Mm -hmm. the amount of things that they've had to deal with, that they are feeling this way instead of feeling like the most precious asset that an organization could have. So, yeah, I think the stats are exceptionally worrying. When I saw them, I was shocked that they were so high. But then when I sat with it, it's I'm not hearing anything different when I'm speaking to, you know, groups of HR professionals that they're all saying the same. Like, so there's no disparity in the research versus what I'm hearing um, when speaking to groups. Um, So, yeah, I mean, very, very disturbing uh, figures and very disappointing, I think, for the profession in general that I think has come a long way, but just seems to these these show that it needs it's it's there's more to be done for sure for for HR professionals in the workplace. Definitely. And that kind of standout one that we we kind of spoke about at the the top of the the call, there was the 98 percent of HR professionals feeling burnt out. That's that's almost everyone. It's crazy, really, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. With those findings, the burnout, the undervalued, all those kind of things, Gillian, why do you think so many HR professionals are kind of feeling that way? And I think we I think we know the answer from our experience in the past couple of years, but I suppose for the sake of our listeners. 
Yeah, so obviously unprecedented circumstances over the past two years for sure, but the context of work has changed now. And I think that, you know, one of the other things the survey found was that 73% of HR professionals do not feel that they have the tools and resources to do their role. I think a lot of organizations are trying to operate as if the context hasn't changed. So they're trying to do onboarding, they're trying to do L&D, they're trying to do comms, all of these things with the same tools and the same resources when the context has completely changed. And, you know, HR needs support. They need more people. They need more uh, technology resources. They're operating in a completely different context. So I think that's one of the first things is investment and for leadership teams and organizations to stop thinking of HR as a cost line or, you know, that, it's 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 money leaving the business they need to invest in these tools and resources um, for their people um i think the other part of it as well is that there's just been so many things for hr within this like there's the great resignation so there's pressure on hr now to hire talent get the talent in then retain the talent then deal with all the complexities of payroll employment law of people working in remote areas and it's like we feel like hr is some sort of unicorn that they can do all of these things you know look after the emotional well-being of the employees ensure that they're emotionally committed and looked after make sure that everything is compliant health and safety wise employment uh, like the list goes on I mean even when I, I was CPO during the pandemic and down to you know the things you had to have in place for the office for people coming back in the technology that everything just changed and it was a huge huge amount of pressure and I just don't think that the HR professionals got what they needed or they got the investment either in the resources or tools to manage that myriad um, of issues that presented themselves and I think also they need to remember that HR is sometimes the middle middleman and the messenger so, you know, I've always found you're coming back with the sort of bad news. It's a big resignation. You know, salaries are at an all time high. And then you have the leadership team saying, well, I'm not paying that or I'm not doing this. And that's crazy money. And we're not going to, you know, and, and having to turn down, you know, candidates and then, you know, managers giving out. Why do we not have people in place? And they're stuck in the middle uh, a lot of the time trying to figure these things out on their own and being bounced back from department to department. Um, and, and sometimes being shot for the messages that have to come back, which are tough messages to hear. So and it's quite a lonely role as well. You know, um, there is this when you are CPO, you know, you you tend to have to kind of, you know, keep you're, you're with the employees, you're with your leadership team, but you do have to keep um, a bit of yourself um, separate as well to, to, to make sure that you can keep an independent view. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So it can be lonely, can be very lonely. Definitely. And I think that feeling of kind of overwhelmed and under-resourced, Mary, is something we're definitely getting a sense of that, aren't we? Even from companies, big, small, any size, it's definitely something we're hearing as well, isn't it, Mary? All the time. Yeah. And it, it saddens me, you know, because sometimes we talk to HR people because we provide um, support line and we're on site with people. We're virtually with people. And, and often I find HR people in tears, mm-hmm. tears because, you know, they feel they're being blamed for something within the organization. They're straddling the employee body and the C-suite. Um, and, you know, 
the the twain don't always meet um, in reality. I was struck this morning, I saw an article on LinkedIn about an open letter from the Apple employees objecting to uh, a rigid hybrid model where they have to be in office from uh, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and the at-home days were Monday and Friday. Um, and they sent this open letter complaining that, you know, this was rigid and inflexible and uh, obviously it's public. And I'm sure that there are HR people who have been, you know, front and center of putting in place the, um, you know, models of work for the future, having gone through surveys and focus groups and having spoken to employee body and the C-suite and the management groups and come up with the model of work and, Next thing, the employees aren't happy. Uh, the C-suite won't be happy. There'll be some measures that need to be taken. And again, all the pressure will fall back on um, the HR function, the people function. What are we doing to engage people? What are we doing to motivate people? How can we um, you know, bed in this new structure, this new working model? And actually, that resonated so much because I have heard from so many people the struggles that they've had between the C-suite and the employee body around the future of work. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the C-suite not necessarily getting it, not necessarily agreeing with it, wanting people back in office as much as possible um, in a certain structured kind of a way. And so I think it's quite challenging for HR people. Like you say, the investment isn't there. They don't have the tools. They don't have the technology. Um, and even if they do have the tools and the technology, it's not a fundamental and core skill set. So the investment hasn't been made in all of that, that HR people need to operate in this new world um, and to, you know, communicate most effectively and to act most effectively. And like you say, then there's a million and one other things as well as that retention, mm -hmm. attraction, mm -hmm. um, filling roles, you know, time to hire. All these things are metric. And if you're not delivering on them, then you're seen to be failing in some way, um, which isn't fair. No. And sometimes I find the best HR people are the ones that genuinely have an interest in people and want to help people and go into HR to help people. And what happens then is we try to measure them the same as every other function, as you said, on time to hire. And, you know, I mean, time to hire as a metric isn't great because you could be hitting that metric, but you could be bringing in people that are completely not a great cultural fit, that are incompetent to do the job. So it shouldn't really be a metric. Um, it should be, you know, do the right thing, get the right person in and the right type, you know, time frame. Um, and most importantly, do the right thing. But I think like I've seen over the years, a big frustration for HR professionals is that they are generally C-suite try to measure them the same as every other function. But really, really good HR people are able to work with teams, work with people when they need them and when they need them in their hour of need and can sit like, how can you put a benchmark or a KPI on, say, you know, someone who's lost a mother or someone who's, you know, got a sick child and you sit down for an hour and a half, maybe to have a coffee with them and just listen to them and be with them and make sure they're OK and see what support they need. 
I mean, that's an hour and a half gone out of someone's day, but there's no metric to manage it. But if those things aren't done, you know, people feel like I'm part of this organization. I'm just a number. And that's what we are seeing happening is that people are just feeling like a number and leaving in their droves. So we have to look at HR as a different function and what it's there to do. And really the main role of HR is to, you know, get the best talent in, attract the best talent, look after the people, mine them, retain them and develop them and while they're there and look after them. And I think we need to really, really rethink about how we measure that and um, how we hold HR people accountable for nearly everything in the organization. And we have all these metrics and, and it's just too much. As I said, it's nearly like like you're you have to be a unicorn if anything happens in the organization it's like where's HR <laughs> the amount of things have changed over the last two years mm. every government announcement had an impact on the workplace yeah Do, I mean HR people spend so much time um preparing for return to work return to office dates mm. and you know only to find that that got pushed back and this yeah. got pushed back mm. and then eventually when all the office preparations were done people didn't want to come back in anyway and they were struggling with people who were demotivated and resentful and and then ultimately moving and creating a further organizational pressure point and problem for um the people function when you talk about that open letter from apple i mean you know i'm sure there was a hr person mixed in there too that probably provided all the data built a framework that they had listened to the employees and then someone probably along the line said no i want them in three days or you know the leadership team want them in three days and the problem again sometimes with hr is you have people who have their own experiences have worked in other organizations and they draw on those experiences and say well this is what i like you know, and this is what I want and this is what worked for me. So therefore, it's going to work for everybody else. But that's that's a common problem that HR people come against where they're dealing with boards and they're dealing with CC and trying to get things over the line to show, well, we've lots of different generations. We've lots of different people with different needs at different stages of life. You know, this isn't going to, to work. But a lot of times they're trumped and said, well, no, this is what we want for the business and this is what has to happen. And again, they then have to go back and sell that message and say that, you know, because you couldn't possibly say, look, I'm not on board with this either, which is very, very difficult for um, HR professionals to do is to sell something that maybe they don't fully believe in themselves. And then from a from an employer branding perspective, an organization, you know, struggling to attract and retain talent has articles all over the Internet saying that they're behind the curve, that they're behind what uh, their competitors are doing, that organizations like Airbnb and, uh, you know, organizations like that have much more flexible models. And, you know, you can just imagine from the, for the HR people that are you know are behind um, helping the organization come up with these models of work are feeling right now with the open letter to the CEO CEO is not going to be happy plastered all over the internet uh, and in publications and and for the organization to be considered behind the curve so i'm always sympathetic to and look we don't know and that's me speculating about apple and and how it works but at the same time 
I do know from lots of the HR people that we work with that those pressure points are there and they're trying to get things across the line. They're trying to make business cases for things. And ultimately, they're tasked with, you know, resourcing the organization so the organization can deliver on its strategy. If you don't have people, you can't attract them, you can't retain them, you've got them leaving in droves. Um, you know, who who are the C-suite going to come looking for but HR or the people function? Yeah, and I'm nodding in such agreement with all this that it looks like I'm jumping in. I'd say there's people listening in their, their cars and they're going, yes, thank you. Somebody's finally saying it. But I think one of the big things we're, we're speaking about, we talk about the C-suite and that kind of thing, Gillian, and like, I know we said, obviously, you're seeing roles like chief people officer appearing. You're one yourself for, for 10 years. And then you see things like how HR can't slot perfectly into the organization. You have 29% of people feeling that their work is, um, only 29% of people feeling that their work is valued. Sorry, it's the first that you gave us. So I suppose, is it, are we right in saying that HR is still not really featuring at that kind of C-suite level? Is that where the gap needs to be filled, do you think? <laughs> Don't get me started. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I just if I could, I'd write about this all day and give it not give it because that never helps anything. But, you know, petition for HR professionals out there. I mean, Corn Ferry came out and said there's fewer than three percent of sitting directors on the boards of Fortune 1000 companies who are current or former HR executives. So that tells you everything you need to know. Um, I wrote a recent article on it and. It's so funny when you read the announcements like, yeah, Lena Nair got, uh, she was a CPO of Unilever and then she went over as CEO to Chanel. And, you know, they kind of announced it like it's a shock thing, you know, and I'm like, why would it be shocking that a person who's looked after people and the people agenda for so many years, why is it shocking that they're becoming a CEO? Liz Joyce is another one um, in Ireland who has a HR background to go to the central bank and she's on their board. And then Wilson um, Thompson from Tesla um she joined the board but what I did find when I did a bit of my research was it was generally maybe if there was a corporate indiscretion someone from HR was positioned on the board which you know isn't ideal um because it's then as if you know it's after the fact um whereas for me again I think it's like it's just such a no-brainer why would you not have someone who had a background in people what are the biggest challenges for organization now it's getting talent retaining talent and you know embedding people in getting you know and they need talent for their organization so why would you not have a person that had a background in leading the people function of organizations it just doesn't make any sense to me um and when I did my research you know I as I said you can see there less than three percent I really struggled to find any sort of um people in Ireland um and you know even less so in Europe I mean as well within the HR profession <clears throat> there is um, a heavy weighting towards females in leadership roles within HR. So it would actually combat two of the issues that we have with boards um, as well, if we saw more HR professionals um, on boards. But I think until we get that, that's when we're really going to see. So if you can imagine, you've all these C-suite HR professionals going through this resignation, dealing with all these things. And on the board level, they don't really have a said person that they can go to. Generally, um, board positions are given to those who've maybe had commercial uh, roles and been former CEOs or been former uh, CFOs. And therefore, at a C-level, if you're a CFO or you're in product or you're in commercial, you have someone that you can go to that has that bit of experience and is contributing at that level and can give you some guidance. But 
CPOs, CHROs, they don't have that at board level. Um, anyone that can give them guidance or assistance or be there for them to support them. So for me, um, I personally think the companies that start coming out now and appointing CHROs, prior CHROs or existing and CPOs are the ones that are going to get ahead. They're going to have the competitive advantage because it's going to be all about people over the next sort of five to 10 years. And um, we are going to have a massive issue with talent. And if organizations can't get their talent, they're not going to be able to service their customers, they're not going to be able to service their business. So it is, and, and everybody knows it's one of the number one issues at board level. So for me, no brainer and any organization that does this and gets on the, the you know is progressive enough they will have the competitive advantage and with that in mind i suppose with the issues we will be facing currently facing now and will be facing over the next number of years mary i think obviously a department like hr facing all this burnout and struggle and feeling undervalued that's going to have a negative effect on businesses really at the end of the day isn't it of course it is. Well, if, if you see people leaving the profession for a start and, you know, during the pandemic, I saw more HR and people, professions leaving altogether, leaving the organisations, leaving consulting um, and choosing to do other things to either retrain or stay at home or give up altogether. And I think that's really sad from an organisational perspective if the pressure that was on a manager or a function during the pandemic felt so badly that they prefer to leave the organization and not just the organization but the profession um altogether i think that's really worrying i've had more people upset distressed crying um on the point of resigning feeling undervalued feeling demotivated feeling overworked and contacted well outside of office hours over the last two years more than I've ever seen before and I think that is very very worrying from a HR practitioner perspective and um, it is predominantly female you're right Gillian um, and it, you have to question whether that links back into um, the voice not being taken as seriously as you might have in other functions and other parts of the business and why you're not seeing um, the HR profession rise to board level and sit at that table. And, you know, again, with the focus on gender pay gap reporting, with the efforts that some incredible organizations are making around female representation at the senior level of an organization, um, we're still a really long way off from that uh, in the first place. And when it comes to men, uh, in the HR profession. And, you know, I always shout out to men in the HR profession as well, because they're doing a stellar job, just the same as any woman is. Um, but it is predominantly female. And I, 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 you have to question is that why um, the HR profession are being undervalued? I think there's something stark now. It's not just HR profession, but something like 2.2 million women dropped out completely out of the workplace in the US and 2.1 million across Europe in the eye of the storm when the, the, the real sort of mass resignation started. You do see CEOs and you see companies come out and they're like customer first, people first, or people first. 
Well, I sort of say, put your money where your mouth is. And I know that's a bit, but, you know, you can't say that and then have sort of a HR director who's kind of at the C-suite, but doesn't have a C-title and is sitting there, but isn't really fully, you know, seen as a, a fully contributing member of the senior leadership team. So I would nearly say if you don't have the title, nearly don't sit at that table because there needs to be a proper representation at the C-suite of people. And then the same with the board and then pay people the same. I mean, there's nothing worse than like generally I do because I would do compensation strategies and I've worked with lots of businesses and, you know, Willis Tear Watson and all that over the years. And HR people and generally people in, say, operations looking after the customers are paid less than any other C-suite. They're generally paid less than the CFO and they're generally paid less than the chief commercial officer or the chief product officer or the CTO. And again, that doesn't set them up very well. And it means that that is probably, you know, less important. If you don't have the full seat and you don't really have the full package, well, we're off to the start of we don't really see you fully or, or we don't value. Um, and that's before anything else or any of the decisions that are made in the organization or any of the behaviors that are demonstrated. Um, because, again, people are very intuitive. They know, you know, you say one thing or people are our most important asset or people are this, but actions speak louder than words and I think that's where change has to start it has to start at board level it has to stop start at c-suite you have to start with packages everything and we have to level up I mean what is expected of um chief people officers and CHROs now is absolutely nearly more than any of the other c-suite at the moment and so they should be paid and remunerated appropriately for that yeah this is kind of a a two-part question because uh, I suppose the first part of it is I'm going to ask what can HR professionals themselves do to combat this kind of burnout and the feeling undervalued and stuff, Mary. But the second part will obviously be businesses. What can they do? We're going to obviously talk more about that. But I suppose the first part of it, Mary, is there anything that the HR professionals can do to maybe, I suppose, fight back at these feelings of burnout, undervalued, those kind of things? Coaching can go a long way uh, and mentoring can go a long way towards uh, helping HR people not just uh, deal with feelings of burnout and, you know, feeling undervalued or being demotivated, but in terms of career progression, in terms of pushing yourself forward and in terms of developing the skills to function effectively at a senior level. I I often find that HR people, you know, by virtue of the role, you know, you usually have the year of the CEO and the CFO and, you know, you are up there. You are interacting on a daily basis with these people. But how are you viewed? That is the big challenge. How are you viewed? How credible are you? Um, And what can you do yourself to improve your position. Now, I'm sure some of our listeners out there are going to go, yada, 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 yada. I'm doing nothing wrong. I'm a perfectly capable HR professional that's just not being recognized. And that may be true. And if you leave your organization, you may be recognized somewhere else, 100%. But I do believe that coaching and mentoring um, and understanding how to present yourself like all the other functions from a very practical perspective as well in language that is understood at that level 
is important. Um, and then you come to the organisation itself um, the importance of providing HR people with the tools that they need, with the investment that they need, um, trusting what they're being told from the people profession, because they know they have the expertise. That's what they're employed for. Um, but I think there's there's a job to be done overall. And, and then I think that organizations uh, and educational establishments need to think about well, what is this, what are the skills required for the future of HR people? Let's not keep churning out people um, who are trained to do trade union negotiations only, who you know don't have the skills around employer branding and um, sourcing digitally and doing all of the things that we need to do from a HR perspective now to attract, to retain, to engage, to motivate. If we don't have the skills, the digital skills, if we don't have the IT skills, how are we going to do it? In a with a distributed workforce, because there's one thing for sure, whatever, you know, a CEO thinks or wants, uh, the employee voice is stronger than it has ever been before. And you can bet that Apple didn't bank on having the employees send them an open letter objecting to the rigidity of what they consider to be a flexible working model. So, you know, it's, it, employers have to be careful. Organizations need to be careful. That voice is very strong and it can be extremely damaging in an environment where you're trying to attract and retain. Yeah, you're, you're definitely starting to see that now. Um, like employees wanting to know where their pensions are being invested, you know, and what the CSR and the footprint of the business, like the, the questions that are being asked now at interview. And, you know, it's nearly like people's brands. Do I want to associate my personal brand with this brand? And they are doing the research. I suppose that would be another one that I'd come on the back as well, is that if any listeners are listening, looking at the construct of the company before they go in, looking at the organizational structure, do they take their people seriously? Is there a C-suite, C-H-O-R-O at the, you know, is there anyone from their board that has a people background? And start asking those questions. So not only, you know, HR professionals, but if anyone else is listening in, you know, at a managerial and leadership level to start thinking about those things for their colleagues um, and, you know, be their advocates as well. Um, to, because any organization that has a purple person who has a strong people voice at the board or the C-suite is going to be a good company to work in, you know. Definitely. And I think that's, well, that's the flip side of the, the question then from the company side of things, Gillian. Is there, I know we, we mentioned a lot of things there around kind of structure, pay, that kind of thing. But even for some of our listeners now that might be leaders of, of, of companies, that kind of thing. Is there anything that companies and organizations can do kind of, I suppose, quickly or soon? You know, those kind of smaller things, things around employee voice, even things like that, where they can really just get their teeth in there right now and then hopefully end up with that strong HR function in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, they just have to invest. Um, as we said there, 73% of HR people that were surveyed do not have the resources to do their job. So that, I mean, I, I kind of want to move away from tick the box because I think that we um, globally have become too sort of transactional as if, okay, get the resources to tick the box. That's it done now onto the next thing. But this isn't a tick the box. This is a, a big seismic shift and it's going to require 
require a different way of thinking, a different way of being, and really thinking about the people agenda in a completely different way. So yes, investing in resources, what does that mean? It means investing in obviously extra people to assist with the people function, but it also means relooking at all your technology as well and how you are going to digitally connect with your, your workforce. Obviously, I work for WorkVivo. The reason I work for them is because I think, you know, I love the product. I think it's the digital heart of the organization. I think it helps organizations with their communication. It opens it up to employees. It democratizes communication. It helps with recognition. It helps with, um, you know, strategy values, bringing culture to life, all of those things. But HR people need those tools to integrate all the systems and to, to relook at every process they have in this new context. And so therefore, organizations are going to have to make significant investments in people and technology to assist. And that would be a first step. But then they're going to have to relook at all their people managers, their current leadership. Are these leaders fit for the, the, the next generation? And, and their, is their training and development required? Is it that actually you need changes in senior leadership? Because the soft skills are now the critical skills. I think for too long, they've been branded as soft and they're not soft at all. They're critical and they're required for the next phase um, of growth of any business. Um, so looking at the leadership that you have within your business, the people managers, get them right. Because if you don't get your people managers and your leaders right, you're going to find it very, very difficult to retain people. So they'd be the sort of things that I'd be going after. Um, and then you'd be somewhat on your way to start then you know setting yourself up for success um yeah, i think very we always say i suppose we've been saying this for quite a while now in the podcast i know it's a big period of change lots of things going on but it's obviously a, a time of opportunity as well for hr people to kind of jump on those things and really re reset mary isn't it absolutely i think people with digital skills are probably ahead of the curve at the moment and and those with platforms whatever those platforms are yeah they are ahead of the curve because totally. they're able to communicate with um the employee body irrespective of where they are and engage with them in a positive way and and the whole area of culture you know there's so much talk about it and about culture being lost and you know that we must meet in person to you know have a good company culture you know people talk about water coolers I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anyone at the water cooler if it did I, it was probably like a second <laughs> type of things so the, the way people talk about these conversations that have water cooler in the car park usually in the car park someone's rushing to go home or rushing to get in certainly they're having a bitch the weather. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've also had really long conversations in the, in the car park so <laughs> what are we actually doing in the office and the majority the vast majority of organizations um that I know. And the ones that I visited uh, since I could visit and go on site with them, they've got like a handful of people scattered around in a traditional office structure um, with no kind of communal meeting points really there anyway. Even if they do have the communal meeting points, everybody's sitting, you know, in in miles apart from each other there's no buzz there's no chat there's no great brainstorming that I'm seeing if I'm really honest I'm just yeah. seeing that so what are people talking about 
And I, I think there's great myths about what's happening in the office space. I don't believe all this is happening there. Yeah. And I think it's people who, you know, bad habits die hard or, you know, they're they're used to like, I mean, even when you think about habits, you mentioned people I know that would go in, get their coffee in the same place. They would leave at the house at the same time. They go in, they do that, read the paper for the first. So they're very wedded in their routine and how they operate. And those people absolutely will struggle with this type of change and love to get out of the house. I mean, extroverts who really thrive on being around people a lot of times will differ. I mean, my first learning when I did my strategic HR in my master's was one size does not fit all. And that's how I operate ever, ever since. So I would have a workshop with lots of employees, say from a team and say, OK, so this is what we have to do. This is the work that we have to do. These are the customers that we have. Every one of us has different needs and wants. Some of us will love working from home. Some of us will love going, you know, um, into the office. Some of us need that for our own energy. Some of us won't and get overwhelmed by it. So I want you to consider everybody, everything, all the customers. Also, some people are at different points in their career. Some people are you know, younger coming in and they want to meet and they want to have fun. So we can't just think of ourselves uniquely because I'll just do them what I want and and I won't consider the customer or any other, you know, young person coming into the workplace because I'm now grand and I have my kids and I just do my thing at home. Like you don't want to foster that type of mentality or that type of culture, but put it down for people, help them try to understand each other's perspective and figure it out themselves. Like a lot of times, you know, you just do the facilitation and set the scene and the teams will work it out themselves for what's best for them individually and, and the team and the customer. So I think it, everything has to be very inclusive and cooperative and collaborative because one size does not fit all. And what works for Apple, you know, with their two days or the three, it's not going to work for somebody else, you know, a smaller Irish indigenous business, you know, so everyone has to figure out what they're going to do. But there's, yeah, there's lots of myths around and there's lots of them. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever had a water cooler conversation either. <laughs> um, I think office so. design needs to catch up too, doesn't it? Totally, uh, totally. Because, I mean. You know, you've got some some of the larger corporates and or uh, multinational organizations mm-hmm. that are investing in changing yeah. their offices. But look, mm-hmm. you know, most Irish SMEs mm-hmm. aren't doing that and don't have the funds. And there are some CEOs hanging out there for the day in which the grand return is going to happen, where everybody's going to come back. <laughs> but unless you're in, you know, manufacturing or environments where, you know, you do physically need people present for whatever reason. Although I have heard talk about, you know, some of those jobs that we believe must be done in person in the future won't even be done in person because it will all be automated and through AI and all of that. Um, So it's really a disruptive period. And for anybody who's wedded to a particular way and doing things to a a particular office environment to a water cooler moment or a car park chat, you know, those people are going to be left behind to some extent. Um, And I heard it very interestingly described when it came to, you know, things like, I know, certainly I grew up around vinyl and, you know, when I, I bought my, you know, albums and my records 
uh, in vinyl. And we used to have conversations in college that, you know, the CD is never going to take over. And then I heard the conversations that, you know, streaming was never going to take over and, you know, that the book would always be there, that the book in its format would always be there. Paperback or hardback was always going to be there. And look where all those things are now. Newspapers, mm-hmm. books, music. Where are all those things now? The fax machine, the old processors that used to be used in the offices. Where are all those things now? They've changed. And you can argue against it. You can, you know, rail against it as much as you like. But the world of work is changing and has changed and continues to change. Um, And it'll be an an interesting time ahead. And HR people who get that, who are trying to help the organization move forward and embrace it and change and invest, um, you know, they're probably going to be around for a bit longer than the organizations that don't like it and won't do it and they're wedded to a particular way of working. Yeah. So lots to think about and lots of change going on. But I think one thing we can get from today's conversation is the the importance of HR over the next couple of years and up until now also is definitely not to be understated because it's it's such a crucial time for, for HR teams and organizations everywhere. So look, huge thank you to Mary and Gillian for that uh, discussion. Really, really good insights there. And I think a lot of people will, a lot of HR people will feel a lot better knowing <laughs> that a lot of their feelings are, are definitely, definitely echoed by yourselves there. So look, thank you to everyone for listening as well. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. And don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to obviously check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And we leave a link of the, the work vivo results there for you to have a, an, another look at. And as always, of course, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary. And thank you, Gillian. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.